0: Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. We are sporadically re-releasing some of our past episodes throughout the summer, and today's guest was one of the chosen ones. Because these episodes are older, please forgive any out-of-date references. These re-releases have been chosen because they are either some of our most heavily downloaded episodes, relevant to some current event, or just a conversation with someone we deem to be a badass that we felt should be reintroduced to our newer listeners so that their pearls of wisdom are not buried forever. Either way, we hope you enjoy. Here it is.
1: My best talent in life is sort of picking talented people. Uh, I have a good eye for people who are good at their jobs, whether it's a screenwriter or, uh, you know, a cinematographer. And so I try to make it exactly. I try to hire the best people that I see for stuff and then give them the room to do their job to the best of their ability.
0: This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome and thank you for joining me again at 10,000 Knows. This is Matt Del Negro, your host. For those of you that are new, hopefully you will not only be entertained by the stories of my impressive guests, but you're also going to walk away with some valuable life lessons and tools for yourself after hearing how these people have viewed obstacles and overwhelming odds, how they view work, how they've managed to succeed where many others have failed, and In most instances, they're they're still struggling with the same issues you are or new ones, even though they may have reached great heights. They're still human, and they'll be eternally refining their approach to be better, more efficient, happier. If you're someone who's been sitting on a dream or maybe following your dream but feeling stuck at this particular moment, thinking about throwing in the towel or having a tough time getting out of bed because you're too overwhelmed by everything you need to do, This is the podcast for you, mainly because of the amazing guests that I've been fortunate enough to have come here and share their story with me and now with you. Today, I've got the massively successful and competent film producer, Jennifer Todd. She has been consistently executing on the highest level for many years. She's got integrity, she's loyal, she has an incredible work ethic, and she's so averse to the spotlight that even while she's sharing these great stories of some of the projects she's worked on, many of which you'll know, she almost removes herself in a way that makes the project the king. It's it's never about making herself look like the hero. She's the consummate professional. She's produced too many films to name here. I'll leave a link to her IMDb in the show notes, but here are a few Memento for which she won an independent spirit award, all three Austin Powers movies which really became a major part of our culture's comedic landscape. Boiler Room, which she did with a first-time filmmaker Ben Younger and a cast of young stars before they were stars. Ben Affleck was among them. Uh, She later went on to run Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's production company, Pearl Street Films. Um, She did Across the Universe, the incredible Beatles musical directed by Julie Taymor. She's only the third female to have produced the Oscars. She did it uh the last 2 years with Mike DeLuca and shares a great inside story with us about the the infamous wrong envelope for best picture gaff from the 2017 show. And yet despite all the accolades and accomplishments, she spends most weekends in her backyard hosting her kids friends and essentially making everything run smoothly while calling zero attention to herself. That's what I want you to pay attention to as you listen. Jen doesn't spend a lot of time sifting through how she made things happen or why she's so good at her job. She just tells the story as it went down. It's a valuable lesson for me, at least, spend more time doing and less time talking about doing. Here she is, Jennifer Todd.
1: I know it's funny, right? Your whole life you're trying to describe your job. Everyone knows what an actor does. Everyone knows what a writer does, but like, what does a producer do? But I sometimes I would describe it as like a project manager of someone who, you know, kind of oversees every aspect. Sometimes I say like, we're the, f- we are a lot of times, I'm the first one in, last one out. I think when you're a creative producer, you're kind of the only person who does both creative and financial on the project. Like you, you have both, a lot of times people are kind of working on one aspect or the other. Um, You know, you're, you know, and and the thing is in every movie, it's different too. It depends on the director you're working with in the studio. Is it an independent film? So, you know, but you, you know, I'm often the first one in and the last one out, you know, years later, I'm like, you know, approving, you know, DVD boxes in Asia, you know what I mean? And people kind of have no concept of it. It's hard because it's a, a job that, encompasses so many different aspects. That's what I like about it, but it's a hard job to describe in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like sometimes you get, some, I, I actually think you are a real hybrid of having a real strength on the creative side and a real strength on the logistic side. I don't know that every, maybe all of the greats are, but I don't feel like all of the producers that I know, Some some seem more business savvy and some seem more creative. You seem to have like a combo of those, the two.
1: I feel like there's a lot of the, I I, I feel like I have some of the traits of the older generation and who I kind of came up under. And I see those producers that I admire a lot that kind of do it in the style to which I try to do it as well. But, you know, the business has changed a lot and everybody's readjusting. And yes, and there are some people who come up. You know, there's the other thing that makes me laugh is you see, um, you know, a studio executive gets fired and they get a producer deal like you get our job when you get fired. Like, (laughs) what what other business does that? You know, so so sometimes it's agents turn producers or executives turn producers. But, you know, I think of myself as a, a rare, crazy breed of someone who came up. Wanting to produce, being a producer, only ever being a producer, you know, um, yeah, I think we're in a smaller group for sure. There are others like me, but some of their people turned to it when they, it didn't work out for them in another faction, so.
0: what? No, who, when you say you came up with uh, certain people, who were some of the early on, uh, you know, well, actually let's kind of even, even wind it back a little bit before then, when did you know you wanted to be a storyteller, be a producer, go to film school. How early was it?
1: It was pretty early for me. Uh, my parents weren't in the film business, but I went to, um, in seventh grade, I moved to this private school called Buckley in the Valley. And there were a lot of people in the entertainment business. And some of my friends' parents were. And one of my my good friends, Laura, her mo- her mother and father were both television producers. And I had a real like lightning moment. We were uh, I think we were both thirteen, and her mother had let us be extras in a in an after school special that was called Not My Kid' that was about kids in rehab and it starred George Siegel and stalker Channing, I mean, who was like Rizzo from Greece and that was a big moment, and we all it was we were kind of miserable because we couldn't wear makeup and we had to wear, it. but we got paid in cash and we were thrilled. And we were extras and I was sitting there one day and I was looking at the hair and makeup team and all the people kind of around George Siegel and Stalker Channing. And then I looked over here and there was the, you know, they were measuring the tape and there was all this discussion. And I had a real moment where I was like, I'm interested in that. Like, it was really a moment where I thought, you know, the fluff and puff was not interesting (laughs) to me. And or even the camera being on me, I was curious probably because I'm bossy and they look like they were in charge, but you know what I mean? They look like they, like, I was really intrigued. Like what, what are they figuring out over there? And that looks really appealing to me. Um, and I just remember that uh, as a really defining moment. And then in school I would be in plays and then I decided like, why shouldn't I direct the plays? Or I started doing the lighting first or the sound, but then it became much more interesting to me to be in the, in the behind the scenes. Yeah.
0: Well, you're a big puzzle person too. So that makes sense. (laughs) It's true.
1: I like, it's perfect. Why I married an actor. We're perfect. We're yin and yang.
0: Yeah. But you kind of like, yeah, you like to, I, I was just thinking, um, when Deirdre was with me, and she came and visited the set in in France, and she doesn't come that often, and she was like, "Oh my God, I I forgot how you know how tedious it. Like to an outsider, it seems tedious. To an insider, it seems detailed. Sure. But how do you how you're you're very good with time management, project management, details. What is it like? Did do you feel like that was a natural skill that you had or was it learned from some of these early mentors that you worked with or combo or did anybody like, like who were some of the first people that you worked for that you really felt like, oh wow, I had a raw something, you know, a raw talent for this or an interest in it, but they really honed my skills. I really learned.
1: I don't know that anyone else honed my skills in truth. I started as an assistant and I worked for Joel Silver and I worked for Harvey Weinstein. I worked for a lot of people that taught me like, how I didn't want to do things, you know, and I sort of found my own way. But all of that sort of, you know, learning by trial got me to the place where I felt confident enough, I guess, in my abilities that uh, that I could you know, take opportunities when they came my way. Um, I have, you know, people, producers that I admire, Kathy Kennedy and Mark Johnson and lots of people whose careers I looked up to and the and the style in which I think they work, but I don't really I never got to really work for them. You know, and uh in truth, uh Mike DeLuca, who I produced the Oscars with, you know, he was running uh New Line Cinema when Suzanne and I had a deal there and he took some great risks with us as far as letting me make films for him. And that he was really one of the most empowering people for me because he, uh, you know, I made, we made uh, Now and Then. There we made Austin Powers. I made um, Boiler Room and, you know, he really believed in, in my sisters and my abilities and career and gave us a lot of shots to prove ourselves.
0: And did he, did he see your work before or had you, like, how did you guys come to meet? How did he know that about you?
1: Well, we had worked when he was, I can't remember what his titles were, but he had been an executive on our, our little girl movie now and then. And then he'd become the, I think after, right, nearly after that, I think he became the president of production there. But uh, he, yeah, I think just thought we had ability and thought it would, you know, he would take a chance and, and he did it in a way. Uh, that I always talk about because when I when I was making Boiler room, anyways, we were trying to get Boiler Room made, and I went to see him and said, you know, the movie has to go right away, and it's $7 million, and we have this deal with Ben Affleck if you want it, and he said, okay, let me call you on Monday, and uh, he called me and said two questions, he said you really believe in this director? There was a writer, director, Ben Younger. And I said, I do. I really do. And he said, are you going to be there twenty four 24-7? I said, I am. He goes, okay, go make the movie and don't fuck it up. And hung up on me, you know? And then, and then, and the thing is, is, and I went and made the movie and I remember how much I wanted to deliver for him. He had given me this, you know what I mean? So what happened is he just inspired me to work hard for him. And, uh, and he stayed out of, you know, he didn't really meddle with the movie while we were making it. And then, you know, he came back we, when we screened the movie and helped us figure out the, you know, what we needed to pick up in additional photography and help us release the movie. But it was just a great, he was such a great studio executive because he empowered you to do your job. And A lot of times they people in that job don't necessarily do it that way. They micromanage and they, you know, and sometimes I think they do it to the disservice of a project rather than in service of it.
0: And so do you now find yourself with young filmmakers or even even an assistant who works for you or someone who's up and coming, do you find yourself giving them saying, this is what needs to get done, go do it. And then you kind of do a little bit of of what he did for you.
1: I try to, I try to empower people back. I think I always say I'm not that, my best talent in life is sort of picking talented people. Uh, I have a good eye for people who are good at their jobs, whether it's a screenwriter or, uh, you know, a cinematographer and, So I try to make it exactly. I try to hire the best people that I see for stuff and then give them the room to do their job to the best of their ability.
0: And what would you say – well, let's kind of – you mentioned your sister, Suzanne. um, You guys collaborated for a long time, made Mm -hmm. a lot of movies. You – you made Memento mm-hmm. together, won uh, Independent Spirit Award mm-hmm. for that. What was that? like? Chris Chris Nolan had come off of doing Following. Was that all he had done at yes. that
1: point? Yes. He had done Following and I had had a drink a few weeks earlier with Aaron Ryder, who was an executive producer on Memento. And I was in New York filming and he sent me the script. And uh, I remember I tried to read it. I got into bed late one night and started reading it and I kept having to restart. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to pick this up in the morning. I'm really confused. And uh, it read like stereo instructions. But but I thought it was really cool. And I um and uh, I sent it to Suzanne and she read it. And I flew home. I flew back to LA and we sat down with Chris. I had watched the following, which I thought was really cool. And I just thought it would be um, an amazing movie to make. I didn't know how ever, wasn't, I never felt confident about how it would be received one way or another. But I just thought it was like, it's such a cool experimental film to try to make. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, we came on and we, you know, put it together and made it with Chris, who was fantastic. And I think his kind of st- – his style has pretty much stayed the same as who he is since then.
0: Yeah. And were you guys – so you were shocked by – it did a lot of business, didn't it? Because I, I remember being in New York at the time, and I feel like that was one of those – Or or did it kind of peter out, and then it got the awards Well, it had a crazy run.
1: So it was financed by a company called New Market Capital, and they uh, financed it, and, and Summit had taken international on the movie. And we finished it, and we went to sell distribution. And we had a screening on a Friday night, the night before. It was like Oscar weekend, so everyone was in town. And I went to the Miramax screening. With Harvey and a lot of his staff, and I watched. And then my sister took, went to another screening where there were a bunch of distributors. And Aaron went to the third one. We all kind of covered different screenings. And Harvey, the movie finished, and he turned to me and said, "The movie's not for me. That guy's really talented. We should find something else to do with him." But uh, you know, but I'm not interested in the film, basically. And Suzanne heard at her screening basically the same, and Aaron heard the same. And we all met at Kate Manolini's and got drunk, you know, afterwards and were really depressed about our movie. And we had sort of very little interest in releasing the film. And the two guys, Will and Chris, that ran New Market really believed in the movie. And so they hired uh, an independent consultant, Bob Burney, who's now who's kind of famous in the distribution world. But he came on and um and figured out a platform to release the movie and they put their own money into to distribute it so it was basically was distributed by New Market Capital as the first movie New Market ever released and then they and they i think Bob had a very good strategy which is we uh did a bunch of festivals and the movie got strong reviews and won a couple of awards and then they they released it and it never got over, I can't remember, I can look it up online, a couple hundred theaters, but it played for about six months, which I don't think would happen in this day and age now anyways. But it played for a long time and then it made a little bit over 25 domestic. So, yes, it was-
0: And you made it for seven?
1: We made it for four. Four. four and ch- yeah. So wow. Yeah, Boiler Room had been seven, yeah. Uh, Memento was four and- uh, yeah, so it, had, it was a crazy experience because we all loved the movie, but uh, we weren't getting love. And it was actually once you know, and because Chris is so is so talented, he it was a it wasn't a difficult movie. It was like we all set out to make the movie he wanted, and we did. But the journey releasing it was obviously a little bumpy.
0: Yeah, and, and was it ever? It was in Oscar talks, right? But no, we got or, well, or... we got
1: nominated. The thing is, is. Unfortunately, you know, because we weren't any part of any studio, not even a focus or a you know, with Searchlight now is, we didn't have any campaign money. They didn't buy any ads or do anything. But we got um, Chris got a screenplay nomination, and Doty, the editor, got a an editing a nomination in editing. And we yeah, and either.
0: for those of you listening who who did not see it, you should see Memento. It's it's kind of this. Cra- it's it's really I don't even know how I would describe it, but it it jumps back and forth in time, and he's trying to put his he's trying to put the pieces together, and and what he has, he has short term memory. Yeah,
1: he has short term memory. So he lost. keeps
0: taking Polaroids and he putting does them all and, around. And it's tattoos. Really, it's, yeah, and, yes. it's fascinating. It's oh, really well, fun. the
1: movie plays backwards. Uh, well, not sure the back the black and white section of the movie plays. Um, backwards, right? And the colors forwards or I might be flipping them. Uh, but yeah. uh but yes, it was it was a movie it was it's like I said, very experimental in in nature and uh and 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 it's fun. It holds up. I I went um gosh, it probably is close to 10 year, but when it was a 10 year anniversary, we went Chris invited us to a a screening and Guillermo del Toro did a Q&A with him about the film and I got to see it on the big screen again and I'm so proud of that movie, it really holds up in a yeah. nice way, so it's it's somewhat timeless the way it was shot too, so it's not so identifiable as a certain time in the world, and yeah. so those movies always sort of hold up well too
0: it kind of i i think I feel like it revolutionized things at the time. I remember I think I was late to the game and seeing it, and i and I had luckily had not heard too much about it to spoil it for me, but it was enough that it was like, "Oh, this is a movie that you should go see." I was still in New York and remembered loving it. um so the you collaborated with your sister. Mm-hmm. what would you say uh, how did that work in terms of like was one of you kind of better at one skill set, or do you have you know thoughts of uh, of how to collaborate successfully? I mean, you guys did a lot of films together. Um and and I would imagine there's a little bit of like a one-two punch of maybe you're better at this and she's better at that or
1: sure I think that what what's interesting is you know obviously we grew up in the same house so our taste in movies is really similar and she went to film school and I kind of followed her to SC and I sort of kept following her from job. she would hire me to be a PA I would always sort of she would always take care of me and help me uh, stay employed. Um, and it was the, it's a great pleasure to work. I think, understand why people have family businesses and look, the movie business is so hard and, you know, there's so much rejection, whether you're an actor or a producer or whatever, that, that it's nice to have a partner that, you know, you know, has your back a thousand percent. And that was, it was really nice to be partner with her. We still work together on, but now it's more project to project than all of our projects, which is, has its benefits too. But, but it was nice uh, to have that as people always used to ask us that if we were better, but in truth, what would happen is usually we would, you know, one of us would take the lead on a project or another. So, uh, you know, that's the hard thing about producing is you're sort of deep in it. So sometimes we would just divide up. We have something shooting in New York and LA at the same time, and I'd go to New York and she'd stay here kind of a thing, but we do really do the same we in truth, just because we're sisters, and we're like we kind of still do the same things. I don't think either of us are like she takes casting and yeah. I take editing. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah, it's yeah. just more. If anything, it was more of a taste thing of somebody project she was a little bit more passionate about, or I was a little bit more passionate. I got made, and then I took the lead on it, kind of.
0: Right, right. And and um, one thing that I I kind of you know always think with with you in particular is the ability to stay calm when the bombs are going off around you. I mean, I guess that's part of the definition of what you do. You have to be that way. But how do you kind of, um, if there are people that are listening that are not in the film business at all, but they're, I mean, they, they could be someone, one, who's dealing with project management in some way, or two, it's just someone who kind of gets overwhelmed easily in life and feels like, oh, my God, this is, you know, I feel like, you know, you've seen me overwhelm, you know, (laughs) you've seen me as much as anybody has. Um, But you seem to have this ability uh, to just stay really steady. It, regardless like the you know it could be really high and exciting you stay steady you, it could it could be really scary and things go wrong you stay steady is that again is that something that's just in your dna is it something you've was there ever a time that when that didn't exist or am i just not seeing what's really going on inside, and you're a really good actor.
1: It's sweet that you've given this, this any thought. I really think it's my personality. I think I came out an old person. My my high school girl girlfriends will tell you that I kind of came out a grown up in that way. But or maybe it's I don't know if it's grown up thing, but I don't rattle that well. You know. Either way, uh, which is good because because my husband's different. <laughs> but um, I think that you know I always I think producing. Is, and it's not no discredit to men, but I think women make really strong producers because there's a lot of you know mothering that is the same sort of skill set as being a producer. It's a it's managing a lot of things at once. It's a lot of different fires burning. I'm like it's like making dinner and having a baby on your hip in some ways, you know. And it's managing a lot of personalities. And sometimes it's about taking your own you know ego out of the equation and just trying to solve problem solve and truth. You know there are great men, male producers, but I do think, you know, sometimes a lot of not every woman, not every man, but sometimes we come with a skill set of uh, that that's that's suited to this job. Where interestingly enough, even though women make great directors too, I always think about directing as such a tunnel vision that sometimes I think
0: it suits it, men. It's, well,
1: it suits my husband who can only think of one thing at a time. You know, and you you know what I mean of like yeah. uh, of that. So it's interesting how genders play into it. And obviously, everybody's different, but I do think. um I do think, like I said, women sometimes naturally come with those abilities.
0: Yeah, and and uh, also what what I think of with you is, I, I don't know if if it's accurate to say lack of ego because I think you're very confident and you have a very definite opinion, but there is a there's a certain humility that you have, just in in life. Period. Like I I feel like if I you know, if I were to come to your house on a Saturday and see you and I had no idea what you did for a living, uh, I, I would j- I'm just like, yep, there's there's a mom taking care of her kids and like there's always like your your kids' friends are there and like and and it's very much it, it's never about you. you are always kind of like, uh, beautifully assisting everybody and making sure that everybody, is um, is comfortable? Everybody's comfortable. Everybody's taken care of, and it sounds like the same skill set on on a project. Sure, R- really,
1: right? Well, I guess maybe that's my comfort zone. I mean, I love I love movies and TV and entertainment, and I feel so. Uh, lucky to get to work in it. And I've been doing it long enough that I know it takes a huge amount of people to make things, I guess. So for me, uh, I'm aware of my role. And as much as I can be the engine that try to put it all together, you know, I'm aware it's not all about me in that process.
0: Yeah. And then so because I respect you so much, I could kind of compliment you forever, but that would be a boring interview. So I guess I could ask you like, (laughs) what would what like what scares you uh you know whether it's it's professionally or personally but um on a on a set or or working with someone or a particular project like what what scares you because from the outside and i find this with a lot of people that i interview everybody comes in and they're it, it's easy to just look at you and go like man she's got it all together but because i what i know of human nature i'm like that that can't be it. There need, there need, there's something, there's a chink in the armor. There's something. What, like when you go into a project, are there any things where you're like, Oh, this is going to be more of a challenge because of blah, 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 whatever that may be. Um, Are there, is there something particular? I
1: think, you know, what happens usually to me is you, you work on, you know, say it's a movie, you work on a movie for a long time you kind of fall in love with the script and you get it on its feet and you may in and, and nothing really during making scares me obviously every day there's a problem you show up and it's like cri- it is crisis management or you're like a, you feel like a firefighter you're like what's the fire going to be today is it a problem here cuz there's always a problem but that day to day stuff doesn't scare me what scares me is when the movie's over and you see a first cut of it and then you're like, oh my God, what did we do? We made a disaster. Like it's not, and, and I feel that way about almost every movie just because it's never what you read or saw in your head, or even when you were watching during the daily, you know what I mean? You were watching filming, you know, when you're filming a movie, I always say it's like your face is smashed up against the glass. Like you have no perspective. And then when you go to watch the cut, you're back here again and you're like, oh my God, you know? So to me, it's more just a fear of ever getting to make anything hope, you know, good again. Uh, you know, fear of the movie business being so different these days and the death of theatrical other than, you know, giant movies or, you know, horror films. You know, I, my fears are sort of, I think, bigger, you know, bigger issue than day to day. And that, I mean, obviously, and then I worry about my family and my children and all that, but... As far as the business is concerned, I mean, I guess if I was undertaking some, a big special effects movie or something I hadn't really done before, I'd probably be nervous about what I don't know about, you know? Um, But mostly I'm just, you're worried about execution and it's always an X factor. And sometimes the things you've. The ones you think are, that are going to be great or not, you know, and vice versa. Yeah.
0: Well, you've told me the story. I'd love for you to share it with others of just like when you realized uh, when you shot the first Austin Powers. And I, I believe it had come out. And I guess it had done, I don't know if it had done well theatrically, but I remember you saying like on, on when you realized it was what it became, like this cultural thing was on Halloween. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And there were all
1: these, uh, yeah, but that was a perfect example of a movie that, you know, we weren't sure when we were making it again that was Mike DeLuca who who greenlit that movie which was crazy at the time. It's so easy when you it's so easy to to look back, but it was a it was not an SNL character. It was an original character. A lot of people kind of didn't understand, you know, this 60s swinger character where it was coming from and um Mike Myers' last movie before that had been So I Married an Axe Murderer, which hadn't been successful. So there was trepidation about him. And, you know, we were making the movie and we were just like, God, wow, we hope people think this is funny. You know, but we were, it was certainly not, no one were—no one on that set would have ever thought there were going to be sequels to that movie. We just felt lucky we got to make it. We we tested the movie. You know, I tell this word kind of famously, we, our first test screening, we got a 33 in the top two boxes, which is Fairly unreleasable of the film. It was terrible.
0: 33 out of 100.
1: Uh, 33 out of 100. Yeah, Yeah. anything under a 60, they don't really want to release. So it was that bad. And uh, part of it's that the movie still needed work, and part of it's that the movie was unusual. And I learned later that sort of movies that don't uh, check the sort of norm boxes don't always do well. Someone had told us like Pee-wee's Big Adventure had tested terribly because it was sort of shaped unlike any movie before it. But, you know, anyways, we kept working on the movie. And so, you know, and people were really nervous about it at New Line. And it definitely was not uh, a movie that you thought was going to be a big hit. It did it did well at the – box. the first one did well at the box office. It was in the 50s domestically. But what happened is it was a huge home video hit. And then, you know, that was being rented and bought at the, in those days um, like crazy. And that's what kind of drove uh, the studio to make sequels. But it is really, uh, you know – a surprise.
0: Yeah. Which is hard for anybody now to sure. realize. Looking sure. Back I was at the it.
1: Staples center seeing something and I heard them do the like, yeah, baby over the. You know, you're like, what, you know?
0: Yeah. It's a part of our culture. Yeah,
1: Now it's part of, yeah. Now my kids watch them and they like a fat bastard, which is horrifying. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but no, you know, definitely, definitely in the day, I don't think Jay or uh, Mike or Susanna or I thought, you know, it was a home run.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, and so you talk about uh, the fear of the death of theatrical, you know, the film business, and and going to the theater. Um, now you know everybody's calling this the golden age of television. Sure. Um, I know you've kind of dabbled slightly. Mm-hmm. I don't know in exactly what your role has been in that. Has it been maybe more overseeing. I'm not. I'm not positive. But how are you feeling right now about? TV and that kind of storytelling, like over an eight episode arc and, and it versus film. I and mean, it sounds like film is like, what is really your
1: love. Well, sure. Well, I mean, I grew up going to the movies and when I was a kid, you know, there was no HBO or cable or any of that. So that's just, you know, that's just in my DNA. And then going to the, going to the theater on weekends and seeing movies. Um, I'm, I thrilled that the TV business has I think it's amazing. I think the long form is a really interesting format. That you know, we I used to watch, you know, Roots and miniseries, you know, uh, as they were made uh, later. But now, obviously, there's all this opportunity and there's all these channels and so much programming. But that being said, it's uh, you know, it's the adult-driven drama in the movie theater died, and has been you know redone and changed in television. And so a lot of the movies that I grew up. Loving. I was watching, you know, Terms of Endearment, which is a perfect movie the other night with my husband. And it's just like, would this movie get made? Would anybody see it? You know, um, you know, so it's just sort of a sadness for the loss of that. It makes sense now we all have these incredible TVs in our house. We're we're not driven out the same way that I was as a younger person. Uh but you know, I'm sad for some of the things that I don't think are made. Because even though I think there's a lot in TV, there's still not quite, you know, it's still adjusted. So, but I love TV and I watch a lot of it and I've been making it. I yeah, I had made uh, a television movie at HBO, If These Walls Could Talk To, a long time ago. But I have a show that's going to be on Showtime uh, in 2019 with Kevin Bacon. That's a 90s crime drama that takes place in Boston. And uh, and I'm d- working on a lot of different ideas for TV. So I, I I really enjoy the format. Can you
0: tell people the name of that? Just oh so yeah, I it's really- called City
1: on a Hill, on- and um, it'll be on. I think it's going to be June 2019. So uh, and yeah, it's it's going to be cool. And I so I'm enjoying that. I enjoy the working on stories that have more time to take place. But my my first love is yeah. always the two-hour kind of, you know.
0: Do you think it's going to ever, the pendulum's going to swing back?
1: I don't know why it would if you can sit home and watch Handmaid's Tale, you know, the the Game of Thrones, the money and quality uh, and, you know, and filmmakers that are working in the medium are so strong. I don't know why it would ever stop. And I'm not sure why people would stop to leave their house. It seems like. You know, the Marvel, people want to go see spectacle or people want to see family movies. It's like sometimes you just want to get out of the house. So the kids' movies will still always work, you know. And then it feels like for some reason people want to, they don't want to watch horror. They don't, you know, maybe they watch Horror Home, but they like to go watch that horror with like a communal, yeah, collective experience, you know. And other than that, I'm not sure. And then sometimes, you know, sometimes some movies for the older audiences who you know, whose kids are grown maybe and they like want to get out the, you know, the exotic marigold hotels and there's like movies to be made in that realm. But, you know, it's hard to figure out what people, they're definitely not making Terms of Endearment or Broadcast News or Dootsie or, you know, yeah. some of my favorites aren't necessarily the easiest kinds of movies to get made anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it is a bummer. I, I'm always, uh, you know, Kind of upset by it because I like the idea of being a slave to the film. Like you go there, you can't pause it to go to the bathroom. Everybody's with you. Yeah, so no one's you looking at their cl-
1: phone or and not yet, too much. Yeah. And yet
0: I don't really go enough. Right. I mean, I think of it like what you just described that's me. I'm going to films with my kids. Um, I'm going to, and a lot of those are those big blockbuster kind of. You know, um, Marvel movies mm-hmm. and and uh, or animated films, which I really really appreciate. The animated, I think some some of
1: absolutely. Those I mean, Pixar, Pixar
0: movies. Are
1: are, Pixar is the greatest gift to Finding parents. Finding Nemo
0: is like a perfect. Yeah. We
1: just you movie. know, The Incredibles two was great.
0: Yeah. No, and
1: it's a great gift to parents since we have to watch kids' movies, uh, you know, with our kids. But but yeah, it's different. I mean, my 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 parents were. We grew up in the valley, and my parents were getting divorced, and my mom would drop me and my sister off at the Fox Pepper Tree out in Northridge. And we would, Suzanne and I would watch like a movie or two back to back. It would be like Escape from Witch Mountain and the computer who wore tennis shoes. (laughs) And then we'd walk across the street to Farrell's and have an ice cream and wait for someone to pick us up, you know? And that's like, that's just in my DNA of movie loving and started young. And, you know, and I am the same way now. In my younger years, I always went to the you know, movies on weekends. But you're right. Now we have kids, and we have great TVs and yeah. nine thousand channels.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's embarrassing to me how little I've seen. I feel like there are constantly conversations about all these great series, and I've either seen the pilot and liked it, just never had the time to pursue the entire sure. series. Or there's just there's tons of content, which is great for us, and it's also a little overwhelming. Yeah, I think. Um, so one of the questions I have for you is is um you know, this is called ten thousand no's and largely it's about overcoming adversity sure. and, and but I'm thinking with you, one of the things that you have to do because of, of I I I feel like where you are within this business, people are constantly coming to you for favors, for connections, you know, myself included, you know, (laughs) I mean, like um, people, I feel like people are, you know, you're in a, in a position where uh, people, you can help people. And so I would imagine one of the things that you have to do is say no to people, even people that you like, even, and how do you kind of like, how do you negotiate that? Is that part of the time management thing? Is that like, how do you um, kind of just, I guess, negotiate the schedule, there's so much to be done and you have a family and you have all these things. So how did, just for people that are listening who are kind of, again, back to that thing of not getting overwhelmed and staying focused.
1: Well, I think everybody, all we have in our lives is our time and energy. Right. And that's something sometimes you give it away, especially when you're young. I feel like you give it away too easily. Sometimes you give it away to the wrong person you're dating. Sometimes you give it away to a job that you stay in too long. Right. Like that's I think that comes with old age is realizing like your day is your day. And how do you divide your your time up? And how do you have time for yourself and your kids Um, in regard to fate? You know, favors i feel really grateful uh you know i feel like i also have i've had i've heard a thousand no's too but um oh no uh, i know no no but i mean when uh, people 000. come to you you know the thing is interesting is, is there's misconceptions about what i can do to help people you know and i understand this business is so hard and it is it does slam the door in its face in your face all the time that when someone you know people reach out just because they're trying to figure out a way to crack it it's so difficult so usually if, if it's, if it's something that I can do, I'm happy to do it. A lot of times it's something that it's beyond my reach, but someone's like, Hey, maybe she can get my script to Steven Spielberg. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I can't get him to read anything, you know? So that's try to, I try to do it, but I, I, you know, look, I, I try to try to be kind and try to do it with grace and try to do the favors that don't suck up too much of your time. It's interesting. One of my favorite articles i should find it sometime for you was that you know no i won't read your your whatever that you know you no, i won't read your fucking screenplay no i don't know oh it. god um, i gotta read it uh, now i'm even forgetting the uh, this is a terrible interview because i can't remember the guy who wrote uh, it but I it was there's a whole article about uh it's a screenwriter and he was talking about how often people ask him to read a screenplay for uh for free advice, basically, and how he basically had to start, start start saying no to people. You know, and you realize that, I realize that when I ask someone to read something as a favor, it's like you're asking for an hour plus of someone's life, depending on how fast they read and what you're asking them to do. And so it's just, sometimes it's, you know, I try to be cognizant of what I ask of other people too.
0: Yeah, well, know. that's what I was going to ask you is for, for people, because I, I do feel like a lot of people need to hear this. i um, like, I think- People will come to someone like yourself, and and just they could really help their own cause by maybe doing a lot more of the legwork before right. they come to you. Sure. And uh, I mean, I even feel like in some weird way, this whole podcast is a way where, like, it, I'm always getting like, you know, my dad is like, uh, you know, oh, my, you know, so and so is daughter is an actor and she wants to act and she's 21. And can you talk to her? Can you email her? And I used to do it all the time. And now it's actually nice to go like, you know, what's better than me emailing you or talking? Go listen to 10,000 Notes because right. we talk all about this. That's right. just all there.
1: Right. That's awesome. You know, in That's some amazing. way
0: um, it's, but, but I always feel like there are things that people could do to maybe minimize the ask of someone like yourself who has very limited time. Sure. You know?
1: Well, I do that when I ask of other people. I try to be incredibly thoughtful about it. And I'm, but I'm also like I'm. I think I'm probably more cognizant of what you know people can and can't do. Part yeah. of the reason people are asking me is because they they can't find their way in, so they're just trying to it's
0: like, like crack it in something some against way. The wall. Yeah. Like, well, but it is a lot
1: when you ask people to. I always say it's like I read for my living, and then people are like, "Hey, can you you know." read something for, for, and give me notes, you know, you're like, oh, that's my day job. It's like asking a dentist to like, look at, you know what I mean? It's like, Hey, can you look at this tooth? You know, you're like, no, no, I get paid to do that. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but you know, look, I feel it's a crazy, you know, hard, great, you know, you and I were talking before the start about, you know, your amazing trip and what some things that can come of, of it. And it's incredibly painful and I'm very aware of it. So if I can, if I can ever be of help, I I do try my best.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, uh, if you want to go here or whatever, but I'll, I'll bring it up because, uh, you are, uh, you're a female in a business that has been kind of infamous for, uh, for uneven pay scale. And I know, I, I don't even know exactly how it works with producer deals and everything, but, um, to me, as an outsider, it seems like you can, you know. I look at your career, I look at your resume, everything that you've done, and it's it's just such consistent, high level work. And then it, it seems, I guess, Wall Street has this same deal where someone else could come along, and because they are, it, it could simply be because of gender that the pay scale is or the or the deal that is struck is. So much greater, sure, and it's been it's been coming out in the last I guess couple of years with actors and actresses. sure and
1: it's very prevalent. it's it's like that for it has been like that for producers. It's interesting. The film business has some jobs that have been more open to women, and producing is one of them. Casting directors have been women, hair and makeup people are women. It's very interesting, you know, in some jobs, sometimes, Editors has been a little bit more men and women, you know, and then there's certain jobs like cinematographers until very recently was incredibly male dominated, you know, and there's so and directing, you know, uh, for a variety of reasons. I think that what happened is I feel like there was still still a lot of sort of pay and power disparity between male and female direct uh, producers, because even though I've been trying to do good projects and all that, I've mostly gotten to work in a smaller, mostly smaller scale films for a long time. And they still don't haven't given until Kathy Kennedy went to work for Lucas or, you know, you know, Kevin Feige produces all the Marvel movies. You know, even in the a lot of the bigger movies have been produced and directed by men. You know, and that's the last thing. There's been a lot of female filmmaker, you know, independent filmmakers for sure. Now part of that is that women also are driven to
0: stories that, stories that are, more, that are intimate.
1: more intimate, exactly, yeah. or more character driven. But you know, now there's a huge wave of women who do want to tell action movies and do want to tell those. And I think now they're getting given, being given the opportunity kind of for the first time. Yeah. Uh, but so some of that is taste and and some of it is taste and some of it is opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I've never really heard you. You seem like you kind of uh, take it all in stride and just work that much harder. You don't, you don't, you're not a um, kind of, I don't know. It's not, you're not like a, a, a complainer. And, and yet I would know just from the outside, I go like, God, how, how could it, that your, um, you know, your body of work, it's just not, it's just not, it's not a meritocracy. I mean, and, sure. and the, you know, the business, I guess, largely there's a lot of, it's, it's what.
1: It, it's still been a.
0: Objective or yeah, subjective. It's
1: still been a, a, boys club. There's still, you know, for a lot of time, there was a male executive and they gave a project to a buddy of their, you know, and that's just the way it was. I was observant of it. There was nothing I could really do about it. Just try to keep your head down and keep doing that. But it's a nice time. I look, I think the the result of everything that happened last year has been great for women and hopefully women of feel of diversity feel the same way. Um, it definitely, I, I feel like even the last few months when I got phone calls about, you know, we're making something female driven or we want a female producer on it. That's very new. People never noticed. I mean, you can go through, I can go through a canon of movies that were about women that were made by men. And no one was like, Hey, we should probably get a woman, another, you know, woman involved. And now it's nice. Uh, It's nice that you can kind of call out on something too and say, Hey, I think that we need, you know, we need another woman in the business. I think we need a person of, of color to speak uh, creatively in this behalf if we're going to have this actor you know and now so the times have changed in kind of an amazing so way So you
0: have you have felt the uh, the kind of in a, in a good way yeah. you felt like the, the room has warmed up in a For way. For
1: sure and then you look at the amount of women who I see getting directing jobs and opportunities and I think it's it's great I think uh, it's it's interesting to kind of see uh people being aware of you know how bad the numbers were like no one cared then you know yeah. it was just what it was you know and now people are kind of aware uh that you know it's a good idea to to try to even it out a little bit
0: yeah and i i think it's good for people to hear you know if you're if you're listening to this and and you're you know if if you've googled jen for example you go wow she's she's this is an incredibly prolific career and I think people could go, well, what, what is she talking about? What, what's, what's the problem then? It's all, it's all great. What I, what I know is that, you know, I remember talking to you a couple of years ago and you're like, yeah, it's like, it's like being a, a shoe salesman. You're going around town with these projects and you're just getting shot down. Like that's, people don't see that side of it. I think, and what I've learned through this show is, is like, whether it's an entrepreneur who's doing very well, people think, oh god that that looks sexy and glamorous like that guy's flying around in private jets the the true story is a lot different than that and there are a lot of rejections and you were saying, you know you've had your ten thousand nos is there anything like are is there any particular no that kind of like crushed you at the time? I'm sure you, got over it by now, or you've learned from it, or maybe you've pivoted because of it, but anything that was like stands out?
1: Well, I've just had some movies that I was passionate about. I have one now that I'm still trying to get made that I'm shocked I'm having, you know, that you just, you try and you put everything in. And sometimes, you know, as a producer, you just think- I'll work that much harder. I'll will, you know, I'll will it to happen kind of. And then, and then you can't, you know, it's, it's a funny business in that way, whether you're an actor producer, sometimes you put so much energy into something and no matter how hard you muscle it, it's like, you can't win the game, you know, you just can't get it there. And I mean, I have, you know, thousands of hours I've spent trying to, you know, get balls across the goal line. And then sometimes something happens and it comes some movie or a TV, something comes together very quickly and kind of everything, the door's all open and it all kind of comes together and you're sort of, you know, excited and relieved, you know, that it happened like that, you know? So, so I think it's like getting an acting job. I think producing is a lot the same way. And, uh, and, you know, you have these frustrations. I remember there was a, I was, we were making this, the movie prime that I made with Meryl Streep and Uma Thurman in the end, but I was trying to get that movie made for a few years. And I, I just loved the script. It was Ben Younger who wrote and directed Boiler Room, and we had set it up at a a studio, and the head of the studio told me he'd only make the movie with one actress who we didn't like, we didn't think was appropriate for the movie, and I, like, I was on a family weekend, and I was like, my mom looks over and is like, says so to my sister, like, why is Jen on the phone crying? And she's like, oh, because... Her movie just fell apart, you know, um, and it was like uh, it was Memorial Day weekend, which is when we were like having our family thing. And then, like, I remember a year later, I was on the phone again about the same movie, trying to get an actress in it. And and I remember my mom again, like, why are you working? So I'm like, I remember that movie I was crying about last year. Well, I'm still trying to get it made. You know, like my mother probably thinks we're insane, you know, yeah. what we're doing which eventually that one, we did get made uh, and it was a bumpy ride. But, you know, they're a lot like that. But you have to be, you know, to do what you or I do, we have, you have to be half crazy and to stay in it. And and kind of because there's, there's no guarantee I'll ever get anything made again. There's no guarantee that you'll, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be great to... Have a day job or a you know have something that felt more secure, but it's not. It's crazy. So you know, I don't know. Uh,
0: What's your advice to people that whether they're in this business or you know an entrepreneur who doesn't have kind of you know they're not working for someone else where they're checking in, getting a steady paycheck, getting a pension. What's your advice? Like, how do you get through? For example, that you cried the year later, you're crying about it again. How, what what gets you through that?
1: Um, I just don't have any other skills in life (laughs) to do anything (laughs) but, so I just keep applying myself. My niece is a a sophomore at USC, and she's studying film, and my advice to her was to study business too. Not that I want her to end up being a business person and not a filmmaker or creative person, but I I think in this day and age with everything that changes so fast with streaming and digital and all of that, I think knowing the land, understanding the landscape and i am we're all playing catch up with everything that's happening. Um, I think that can be a great benefit to you. You know, it will definitely help you. I always think it's like, who moved my cheese? You know, we're all always yeah. having to keep our, you know, we're always on our toes. We're never allowed to relax. We're always trying to figure it out. Uh, I, so I do think sort of under, trying to understand the landscape the best you can. Yeah. And if you could do anything different, it, if, I always think if you have, I do think for people who aren't crazy obsessed, passionate about it, that they probably should do something else with their lives because you have to have a screw loose to want to do this stuff. Yeah,
0: I know when you said you have to be fifty percent insane, I'm like eh, maybe
1: a little bit. Yeah, more. it's true. Maybe Eighty. Yeah, which is fine if you are, and there's plenty of us that are. But yeah. I think if there's like, I want to be a filmmaker or perhaps a marine biologist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe there. marine biology is going to be more satisfying for yeah.
0: you. Okay, yeah. so then that that kind of makes me think. What what is it if you could kind of, you know, you have such a um an intense love of movies. What is it? You kind of put your finger on a little bit. You're saying you and Suzanne would go to the movies when you were younger. And but like, what what is it? What's so magical about it? What what is it? I'm asking myself this. For as well. me,
1: it was that escapism, honestly. Like I I looked, it took me a while to figure it out, to be honest, but I was, you know, eight or nine years old and uh, I was going through a painful family moment. And like I said, that's what my mom would do to to give us free time is uh, drop us off at the movies. And it's interesting, my sister and I, because I have another sister who's a scientist, but my middle sister, Suzanne, I'm the youngest. And I, we had an intense love of... Of storytelling and movies, we used to make cassette tapes of our favorite movies when they were on TV. Free the VCR and listen to them. There was a Cinderella with Lin- Leslie and Warren that we were obsessed with. I remember, and also I always joke because my mom, my parents were divorced, and I lived with my mom and two sisters. So we watched. I mean, I saw every Neil Simon movie a million times over. We never watched westerns. I had to see those later in life. You know, there was no, there was no man driving the the, the cinema experience, but we. You know, that was, you know, that was our escapism. That's what we loved. And and I continue to.
0: But it's interesting that it's because you're using the word escapism, which then- Makes me think of like, oh, it's just these like kind of like fluffy movies where you can just lose yourself. But then you're talking about terms of endearment. And I know, you know, like, I know. I remember I was
1: telling Chris the other night, my mother took me to a drive in, and I, the two of us watched terms of endearment. I must have been, I think the movie came out in 80 or 81. I must have been really young. And it was interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. We watched much more sort of adult movies as kids than kids watch now. You know, the things that happen in movies. We were. I mean, I used to watch all that jazz all the time as a kid. It's a dark movie. Like now we're so PC, which I don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, think about the, I always talk about John Hughes movies, you know, they're like, you couldn't make this, you couldn't do the stuff that he did that we watched as kids, you know? It was yeah. like, he's like sends his drunk girlfriend home. <laughs> he's like, yeah, have your way with her. And all the, all the, uh, you know, ethnic jokes. And, you know, it's like, you couldn't do that, but that's what we kind of grew up on. So it was escapism, but it wasn't necessarily fantasy. That's it was what I'm just, saying. Um,
0: it's, it's almost like maybe. And it's just
1: storytelling.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, a, and going on a ride that was more interesting than my home life. Right. Yeah. Or going into a family or maybe seeing a dysfunctional family made me feel better about my own, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that uh, with reading Long Day's Journey Into Tonight. I took a class in high school that was, it was an O'Neill class and the teacher was obsessed with O'Neill and it was like a, an elective class. And I remember reading that play. We read it aloud in class and thinking, oh my God, Like he captured a family. He gets behind every personality in under that roof. And at, at one point in the play, you're siding with whoever it is that's kind of dominating that period of the play. And I remember feeling very understood, you know, within my own family dynamics going, oh man, this guy has captured it. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. I'm just kind of working this out for myself. It's like, maybe it's, it is something that's, it's done so artfully that yes, it's messy, but there's kind of like, there's a lesson learned, or there's there's a journey that, that a full journey, whereas your own life is still kind of in the middle of the mess.
1: Sure, you know, and also, and movies are so interesting because they speak to different, speak to you differently at different times. And you and your best friend, who you think you're a lot alike, and love and hate a movie, you have you've such different experiences. I have different experiences depending on where I was in my life when I saw something, whether I saw it in the th- cinema or whether I watched it on TV, all of those things. So it's, it's very interesting what cracks through at any time. I always joke that, you know, I was, I was a teenager in the eighties and my friends and I loved comedies and it was a great time to love, you know, besides John Hughes, it was like Mr. Mom and Night Shift and Airplane and Caddyshack. And, you know, when, you know, I just, I was a teenager and those movies were fun to watch and I lo- you know what I mean? But I don't know people, the, the young girls who work for me now, they don't have the same relationship to those movies as I do, you know? Yeah. And then they talk about like, you know, the Twilight series or something yeah. that means something very different to them yeah. than it does to me. So it's, that's, what's, it's, what's amazing about it, you know, amazing and complicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like I have to touch on you producing the Oscars sure. because it's kind of, it was a landmark. And by the way, uh, prior to this, I, I tried to Google it. You're you the first female Third. to produce? Third, okay. Third, yeah. Laura Ziskin did okay. two
1: shows and... Um, uh Lily Zanuck produced with her husband, Dick, one year.
0: And so you and Mike DeLuca did yes. it the last two years. Yes. Will you do it again? Or? No,
1: <laughs> no, not this year, at least. not for yeah, a while, yeah. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And again, uh, growing up with my love of movies, I loved watching the Oscars, um, what the movie business represented And the spectacle of it all was just, it was, you know, as a kid, it was my favorite night of the year. was watching it on TV. So having the opportunity to make the show twice was such a huge bucket list. Like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I learned so much. And it was really... Special. It is funny because I've made a lot of movies and TV and other stuff, but it is the one thing you know out in the world or at a dinner party that people want to talk about. Like the Oscars yeah. is just funny. It's like that's what. It's, yeah. It's just everybody likes to, uh, you know, talk about it, and obviously, uh, our first show gave people a lot to talk about too. So with the can envelope. you talk
0: about that at all? Or sure.
1: No? I mean, it was you know, I love that show. Um, and it was, I
0: loved it by the way, J- just so people know, we're referring to, well, you can set it up better. Yeah,
1: sure. Can. It was, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's first year as host and, uh, and, um, it was the year of, and, uh, yeah, we thought the show went really well. And I, it's so funny because the night, there were so many problems the day of that show. Um, we had a part of our set collapsed and all these things happened. So we got to the very end and somebody had just set a glass of champagne down in front of me backstage. I was really done. We were, you know, that was the last award and they were saying their thank yous. And then I heard screaming through people's headsets and I realized I picked my headset up and heard them saying that the, um, they had the wrong envelope and it became this obviously huge moment on the Oscars of, uh, the first time giving the wrong, uh, award, uh, best picture, um, And it was it was insane. It was hard for my brain to kind of catch up with what was happening. And obviously it was, you know, it was a bummer because we had loved I had lo- really loved the show before that. It's hard to be like, it's like it's like, did you enjoy what's the quote about? Uh, but other than that, did you enjoy the play, Mrs. Lincoln? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It sort of became that. And, and then which was a little bit of a bummer. But in truth. It's part of history now and, uh, you know, uh, my show, it will be always, you'll always remember that I did the show with the envelope and the next year, basically.
0: Yeah, but but the funny thing, I mean, it wasn't even on you. I mean, it it, it actually speaks to something that um, I think is is a good place as we kind of, you know, wind it down is uh, the creator, one of the creators of the show I just finished was saying, he's like, it's such a bizarre business because you can never... He's like, you can never really celebrate because if it if it goes well, he's like, so here we are, we're shooting this this season of a Netflix show, and if it goes and doesn't get a first, at, at some point people are going to be like, oh, sorry, man, like, oh, sorry, you didn't get a second season, oh, sorry, you didn't get a third season, sorry, you didn't get nominated. He's like, but but wait, we we wrote the script we sold we sold the pitch we got a first season we shot a whole season but at the end everybody goes you know it's like Oh, you didn't win the Oscar, right? But yeah, I was nominated, and we had, right, exactly. <laughs> but, but at some point, yeah, it's goes, always
1: disappointment, and right? Like, but what if what if why can't it's we celebrate
0: like, this, you right? Know? So it just it just I I think like that moment for you and the way you describe it of like you're done the champagne is that, and then you hear the screaming it's like something it is something out of a movie it was
1: my brain couldn't catch up to literally what was happening and then I was 20 minutes after the show I was backstage with. Warren Beatty and Jimmy Kimmel and trying to figure out what happened. And Warren had two envelopes in his hand and and was so shaken up by the whole thing. And it was so crazy. And obviously, you know, in hindsight, we kind of learned, you know, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, and obviously it was a Pricewaterhouse. The guy had handed her the wrong, um, had handed him the wrong envelope, but you know, the thing is what I learned and especially, and then you go back the next year, it's almost like asking for punishment again, you know, you're producing, in the Oscars, you're producing a live show and there's, you, it's not like you're doing the whole thing. Everybody's doing something. So there's there's a camera guy who can screw up. There's an actor who you know. What I mean, like yeah. you can't be in charge of everything. I wasn't in charge. I had nothing to do with the envelopes. You yeah, know, that's completely yeah. the Academy and Price Waterhouse. But yet. It happens on your show. But when
0: you so when you go to like drop off at school, like the next <laughs> yeah, day, yeah, people exactly. Are like, oh, sorry. They, sure. and you're like, Wait
1: a second. I, yeah, I and on Twitter, people show. are like, "What shitty producers?" They like <laughs> they have that, and you're like, "It's not really under my jurisdiction, but it's it's part of the responsibility." Yeah. It's a little like. It's the same way, like you're saying on a, you know, your show could get another season or not, but people are gonna act like it was your fault if it did. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. like, I'm just Matt Del Negro. I play one guy on it, but they're like, oh, you get a second season. Like, oh, he must have fucked up somehow. Or right. You know, <laughs> it just all comes under your responsibility. But you're not gonna, you don't. No one really is like thinking to tell you. You know, when things go great, there's, you know, no one's giving you the credit. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, it's a little bit like it reminds me of what your advice to Chris, your husband, Chris Messina, who's a great friend of mine who uh, made is making a film. And you said, take the take the best idea from wherever you get it. At the end of the day, you're the director if if something goes well, they're going to be like, "Oh, great!" If something goes poorly, regardless, of, it's going to be it's your fault. Sure, it's it's like the the good and the bad of of being the boss. Yeah, for <laughs> sure.
1: And especially with directing, I think that is the the best side of it. But yeah, the so you know, um, yeah, the Oscars were great, and and what was fun about that too is that live television is so different than what you or I ever get to do. What we do is sort of. Painstakingly slow. You know, even your stuff is faster. You get cast in something, you may go next week and shoot it. But I'm working on something scripts for years, and then you finally get them made, and then you shoot them, and then you edit them forever. I mean, yeah. I made a pilot last January, and we're going back a year later to do the rest of the episodes, and then the show ends in that June. The city, that's the showtime. Yes. So you it's just I've been working on it for you know, three and a half years at this point—it's all slow moving. So the the Oscars were so exciting because it's a date and it's live and it's yeah. five o'clock and you're going to be it's ready, adrenaline. or you're not in the exactly and the excitement um, is so is so palpable that like that I'll always remember and kind of cherish just being part of that was was it was incredible.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh, I I can't even imagine like that that Yeah, vibe I had a, you don't sleep it, for days yeah. beforehand, you know. No, and I know. I mean, I I didn't see you, know, you know. Right, were, it must be like, like MIA. it must it's like
1: an Olympic athlete or something. I yeah. can't imagine the stress of people. I at least didn't, didn't have to jump any hurdles, you know, but or figuratively. But you know, but uh but yeah, that part is exciting and people who and the the team that work on the show, they do that all the time and they're so good at it because yeah. that's what they do. But for people like us who come from a different, you know, ilk and then come, it, it was really exciting.
0: So, well, I want to be respectful of your time. So I, I will wind it down. I'm, they're, they're just so many things that we didn't get to, we won't get to, and that's cool. Um, but, you, you know, you have kids. Uh, everybody thinks of this business as like, oh, my God, this business, like, keep your kids away from this business. But your kids are coming up in the business. They have a, a producer as mom, uh, an actor as a dad, or direct actor-director as a dad. Um, wh- what is your... Uh, they're both creative. Um, how do you kind of give them the, like, how, how do you, how do they see it? And it's, it's, it's kind of different from your upbringing where you were like, you guys were going to the movies to the mall, but right. your mom wasn't in this business. And like, do you, uh, how do you kind of, um, do that? Because they, they know people within the business that it's just different. Than- it is just
1: different. I don't know. I mean, you have the same thing. It's different yeah. with your kids having, uh, you know, especially a dad who's an actor whose face shows up on TV and, they're around him when people recognize him. I don't know. I hope that you know if they want to be in the business. I understand it's it's hard because it, it looks so much better from the outside than it is. So the you know they don't see the they don't really see mommy crying over the movies that yeah. didn't get made. But I just hope we can give them enough sort of life world experience that they kind of understand where it all lands. It's very yeah. hard, you know. Your parents are just the parents you were given, and if yeah. they're crazy or whatever, they do is sort of your norm. So. You know, I'm, I'll take it every day. I just want them to feel like they they have a, a more of a platter of things to look, look at in the world rather than just just it. Yeah. yeah, no.
0: What I what I like for them is that you two are so uh, you're you're so all about the work and not about the fluff. Both of you, that I feel like your kids are. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed by just just the. Their understanding of storytelling and just little little things that I think that they've been, I guess through osmosis, they're just kind of you know exposed to a way of working or thinking. It, it doesn't seem, in, in a weird way, they seem less affected
1: right. by this oh, business be, nice because
0: because they actually do see the inner workings of, of the work of it and not like what somebody else who I you know lives. W- very far away from this business may just have this kind of, uh, far off view of a glamorous place. Right. I think they have two parents that are working storytellers.
1: Right. Right. Know? Well, that's nice. I hope so. I mean, if you ask them today, they're going to be a professional surfer and probably a professional <laughs> Fortnite player. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, yeah I hope, uh, I hope we just give them uh, a clear, you know, view of, uh, of the ups and downs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we could we could kind of stay for another six hours, but I will let you go. I really okay. appreciate you sitting <laughs> down. <here. laughs> not, you not don't talking. like being on mic, it's just on the camera. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, there's me, no you camera. You and I can chat.
1: You know, yeah. exactly.
0: um, thank you very much for sitting down. And I, I know that people will hear it and be inspired by I your hope so. Thanks so wisdom. much for
1: having me. It's very nice. You're okay, welcome.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that and you'll tell others to listen. Jen herself said afterward her that uh, she'll never listen to it. She uh, she gave a speech after being honored at USC Film School recently and said that she'll never watch that either. So I don't feel too bad. Um, but I, I do feel very lucky, like I scored getting her to open up for us. Okay, so I'd like to give you my top takeaways. Tough to do this, uh, to to keep it kind of small, so I'm going to limit myself here. Just three things that I think you can chew on as you walk away from this interview uh, to add to your arsenal of tools as you navigate your own life. One, spend more time doing and less time talking about doing. Two, be aware of your particular talents. Jen said, my best talent in life is picking talented people. She said, I'm aware of my role. Even the first time she realized that she wanted to be a part of this business, when she and her friend Were extras, she looked over and saw the people behind the scenes making decisions and said, that's where I want to be. She knew herself, and that gave her focus, and that gave her confidence. Three, don't make excuses. While Jen's aware of the fact that she's a female in a business that has been historically unfair to females, she's never let that fact prevent her from accomplishing huge Things And when I asked about it, she took the high road and just pointed out how the last year has been a huge upswing in terms of opportunities for female filmmakers. All right. Thank you so much for joining. If you're digging these conversations, please tell your friends and family. And I hope you'll join me again next Friday for stand-up comedian slash actor slash podcaster Brian Callen or you can also search through the 10,000 Nose library at 10,000nose.com for more inspiring conversations. If you liked Jen, you might want to check out the Mark Duplass episode or the Lawrence Chilling episode or the Nikki Weinstock episode. They are all creatives behind the camera. Mark is also an actor, but they have great stories from directing, producing and developing film and TV, which might be of interest to you.